Welcome to episode 19 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with retired Navy Rear Admiral Mark Baumert about the San Diego Military Advisory Council, a 501c6 nonprofit organization that supports and promotes the mutual business and other interests of the military, their quality of life, and the defense community in the San Diego area. Mark retired from the United States Navy in 2008. His last command was the Joint Navy and Marine Corps Expeditionary Strike Group 3. He joined Northrop Grumman as a Strategic Senior Consulting Manager and currently serves as the Executive Director of the San Diego Military Advisory Council. You can find out more about Mark by taking a look at his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. In a city of about 3.1 million, San Diego is home to about 400,000 service members and veterans. That's not counting civilians working for the military or military and veteran spouses or their children. It's a whole lot of military-affiliated people in a community that size, and especially a strong Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard presence. How much impact does that large military population have on a city the size of San Diego? Yeah, so thank you for that question. So the impact's pretty significant, more than just the numbers that you say, because it's really the sweet spot of the population. So you're not really counting that many kids or the elderly veterans. When you think about the economic impact, it's about one quarter of the San Diego economy. And we do a study each year. We partner with the Rady School of Management at UC San Diego so that it's an independent study. Last year, they said that more than 340,000 jobs in San Diego County are tied to the defense budget. And it's something, it's having served in the Army for 22 years, uh, you have military towns, and we think about small military towns outside of military bases like Fort Polk or Fort Hood or Fort Bragg. But San Diego is a large community in and of itself. It's not necessarily what one would think of a military town, but it's one of the most significant in the nation. Yeah, so it's perfect. That's why so many of us that serve, we love being stationed here. It's not a pure military town. Not everybody is in uniform, but it's enough of a military town that the entire community knows it's the military is here. And over the years, the community has been so incredibly welcoming. I think they understand the type of citizens that the military brings here. And the military here, we have several installations who are not just a single installation. And most of the military service members live off the installation. They're not housed on base. So because of that, in your neighborhood, you probably 
have kids in school and their classmates are children of active duty. And they, after school, the soccer coach is an active duty guy and the spouse is on the PTA and it, the deacons in your church are retired military. It's that ingraining within the community that makes our community so special. And I think for other military communities, I'm in Colorado Springs, a Army and Air Force town rather than a Navy and Marine Corps town. But you're right, there is very much a on base and off base. So on Fort Carson or on Peterson Air Force Base. And not to say that there is that separation of the community, but it sounds like it's very much integrated in San Diego. Yeah, much. I think much more. And the service members face the same challenges that our community face. So they face things together. We're all trying to figure out how to afford housing, where to live, the best schools for our kids, where to shop, the best way to commute, all of those things. So we're all in it together type of feeling, which is, I think, also helps bond everybody here. And so you're the executive director of the San Diego Military Advisory Council. And that's an organization that started in 2004, provides a wide range of support for community collaboration among organizations. How has SDMAC been able to develop and maintain these collaborative relationships in a community the size of San Diego? So thanks for that. So we, we're an organization without opponents, which makes it nice. So we don't have to worry about we're battling with a different organization over trying to, to say what the truth. We're recognized as a special spot with extremely close relations with the military in our town and filling a role to help our community leaders, business leaders, elected officials, unravel the mystery of how the military operates. And for example, I had a congressman's office was working on the Tijuana River problem, the flow there, and said, the Navy says there's no impact. And I said, which kind of which Navy did you talk to? Well, we talked to the Naval base. And I said, there's another Navy that are the special forces, the SEALs down in Imperial Beach. That's a different organization. So the Naval base won't speak for them, but we can help connect you. And they can answer that question on how their training has actually been impacted by that. So it's a little bit of just the inside ball of knowing how to get to the right person that, with your question. Okay. So one of the things we help do is to help people, help our elected officials and others, our business leaders, community leaders, navigate through the mystery of who does what in the military in our town. For example, the problem caused by the Tear River sewage runoff, one of the congressmen's office sort of complained just in passing to me that they asked the naval base what if there was any impact, and the answer they got was no. And so I said, you asked the wrong Navy. The Navy SEALs, which are a completely separate organization, they're the ones to ask because they're the ones that put people into the water, into the ocean for their swim training. So that was, you just have to go to the right source. So we can help navigate and get to the correct answer. And I spend a fair amount of my day doing exactly that. So like I said, no opponents there. It's just helping people get to the, the truth and the truth shall set you free. And this is one of the things I think a lot of communities around the country have seen this, both in communities like ours that have a large military presence and then those that, that simply don't because of they're not close to military installations, but the divide, right? This gap between those who served and those who haven't, whatever reasons there are. But one of the things that seems to work the best is when individuals or organizations like SDMAX stand in the gap in between there and act as a translator between 
community officials or those who haven't served and the the military services. Yeah, that's exactly so. And we're still in a wonderful time where even if people haven't served, they have a respect for those that do. You know, I was never a firefighter, but I tell you, when those guys go out and fight the the wildfires, I have just such enormous respect for them. And then when I learn more about what they do, how they spend the night, what their needs are, it helps me you know, kind of how I can better support what they do. And so that's the case where you're supporting the military, communicating with the local elected officials. But what about it going the other way, going from being that conduit between local community leaders and uh, the leaders in the military installations? Yeah, that's a really good one because we were not always that type of an organization. It was mostly a a kind of a one-way flow. Now it really is a two-way flow, and some of it's done privately. I have their friends that are the military leaders here, and we can share information about either aircraft noise and what we're hearing and what they might do to help explain to the community what's going on. If they're running an exercise, why not get out there in advance and talk to the community, get on the news and tell them, hey, for the next week, you're going to see aircraft from all over the world are operating here. Turn it into a good story. So we talk a little bit about that. We share opinions on the need for more housing for the service members, more child care facilities for our service members. And I, I find the military, are they're great listeners because many of them, they know the area, but they didn't, they haven't always been here. So some of them come in from other assignments and they're looking for that help in that way. And I'll even push them to go have a meeting with somebody. Have you when was the last time you met with the mayor or have you met with our new representative, Congresswoman Sarah Jacob? But things like that. I'll promote that. I don't mind saying some of this right out there for the listeners. You know, the first time I met Congressman Mike Levin, right after he got elected, I talked to him about Camp Pendleton. I told him, I said, you know, Camp Pendleton, the Marines are the best environmental stewards in San Diego County. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I know that. And that was pretty neat. And so that was a, a good start to what I think is a good relationship with another elected official that benefits the community, benefits the military. And from what I can tell, that's what SDMAC does is engage with the community. Again, the the academic scholarship for local military veterans going to local university organizations. That's another piece of what SDMAC does. Yeah, we have a, a 501c3 a charity, the SDMAC Foundation, that does just what you said. It's awarding a scholarships. And it's really nice to speak to the, the president of the university or their representatives on helping understand we want to help. What's the right way to help? Who, who should we be aiming at? Is it the students in a particular discipline? Are the students with the highest grades? Are the students that have moved around the most? Did they give us that type of advice that really helps us shape how we help? Some of this is obviously for yourself having served or other members having served. This is a way to engage in the community. We all had a lot of meaning and purpose when we were in the service and we were serving this you know, thing that was larger than ourselves. And we have a lot of free time on our hands when we get out of the military. This is a way for veterans to be able to be civically engaged, but also to carry on that. Yeah, so you were Army, so we all know that we came in as volunteers and we have something in us that is a call, call to serve. So when you put away your uniform for the last time, doesn't mean that desire to serve 
went with it, you still have that in you. And that's why it's more than just the economic power that the military brings here. It's this service attitude, and it's often throughout the family. So it's, it's not just the service member, it's the spouse who's out there volunteering all over the place, working at food banks, and everywhere you turn, it's a veteran or it's a military family member that's really actively engaged in some of the heart of what makes San Diego so great. And as you'd mentioned, right, it is the working age adults, right? So these are business owners, you know, veterans, maybe they don't, they work for somebody for a very long time. Maybe they want to get out. The entrepreneurial spirit in the veteran space is significant as well. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's something I'm actually just learning or having my eyes opened is it's much higher than it used to be. People leave the military, not just the older retirees, but leave the, they, they serve, they get out. They're interested in running a business. They're buying franchises or they're starting their own business or nonprofit. There is a lot of that. These same folks were, they might've gotten off to a great start and then the pandemic hit. And so they're trying to, they don't really know. They need some help a little bit there. I spent a little bit of time today with another group that wants to try to help some of these small businesses weather the storm. How can they do it as much through advice and mentoring as anything else? And some of our universities are running uh, veteran entrepreneur programs to help these veterans learn how to create their own business. And I think that's really the the benefit of having a supportive community with a large military and veteran population is the sea of goodwill that's out there. Many people, as you said, they still value those who served. They still honor those who served. And more than just maybe the good old yellow ribbon on the back of the trunk, but some actionable things that actually help people. Yes. And, you know, I I mentioned earlier, we're partnered with the Rady School of Management at UC San Diego, and they asked me to join their Veterans Advisory Board. And right away, they were very willing. Oh, some of their tuition is higher than what the GI Bill covers. Oh, we're willing to make the remainder part a grant. So we have partnerships that are all around, and it's, it's like I said, it's, it's working both ways. It's helping the community, it's helping the military community. And that's great to hear. And then there's another part of what SDMAC does, and this is not something I think that those of us who are in the military, which is very apolitical, don't realize until we get out that there's actually a role for service members and veterans in legislative advocacy, supporting change at the local level, the municipal level, maybe the city level, the counties but definitely state and even federal. And SDMAC plays a role in that as well. Yeah, yeah, we do. So we're a 501c6, so we are allowed to take positions of advocacy or opposition. And really, we just look for areas that we think are worthy of support. And remember, if you're wearing a uniform, you're not allowed to take that action. So they sometimes people can misinterpret silence for not being interested, but it's just the opposite. Now, right now, we're working on some things within the state. California is the largest state in terms of active duty military and military families. We're working hard to try to help the state help military spouses. 62,000 military spouses in California. Military spouses have very high unemployment and underemployment, meaning they're not working at their trained skill level. A lot of that are bureaucratic impediments to bringing a license or a certification from one state into another. So for example, there's 34 states in our country that have agreed to a standard for what a a registered nurse should be able to do. And those credentials are transportable 
across those 34 states. California is not one of those states. We would like California, we have a nurse shortage. We would, the military can help. So it's a win-win if we can get to that. So there's some other, there's some great legislation trying to grant temporary licenses. Actually, teachers already have that. Within the state of California, teaching has been an example for other areas of certification. But it's an uphill battle because people are suspicious of what the unintended consequences of granting these portability of a license or a temporary license might be. Does this hurt a union? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that somebody who's on probation in another state would sneak in here? No, it doesn't. But all of that needs to be spelled out and explained. And there's a little bit of that sausage making that happens, obviously, with legislature. And again, it's something that I think service members and they leave the service. It's not something obviously that we did. Like you said, there was that separation, but it's also a necessary part of it. Again, an organization standing in the gap and helping lawmakers who may not have some familiarity understand how military service, one, is impacted by their choices and two, can be supported by their choices. And Republican and Democrat, they're they're united in their respect and want of support of military and veterans. Sometimes they need to see how they can do it and make sure, again, these unintended consequences doesn't create an adversary trying to do something that's good. Most of our service members now are two-income families. And when the one leaves the service, there's a short window where if they don't get meaningful employment, that family's not going to be able to afford to stay in California. And it's really sad to see so many of these people with great skills leave our state, if we could just help them, you know, those first couple of months. So part of that is coming in, it's the spouse, license, portability. The other side of it is helping of veterans. There was legislation by Todd Gloria when he was assembly member that recognized military skills in water treatment so that these people could work in the water industry in California, which is a huge industry. So other states were recognizing the skills so the service members were moving. And we used to joke that uh, a person could test water for a nuclear reactor on an aircraft carrier but the county wouldn't allow them to test toilet water without two years of training. It it took a a piece of legislation, and it was actually the brainchild of of a veteran in the Water Authority here in San Diego, and the spirit of Todd Gloria that got that legislation breezed right through. And now everybody's better off for it. And, And that's an example of how we support military service members and their families after they've served. They've served us, give us an opportunity to serve them. But much of the argument in favor of legislative advocacy is that it's a national security issue in that if the service member can't support their military service with their spouse, they'll get out of the military. Yeah, so it's it's very true. There, there has been surveys of what are the stressful things in your decision to remain in uniform. And one of the top ones is always my spouse's employment, my spouse's career. And many times families separate, not like legally separated, but a spouse and children will stay in the previous location while the service member moves and is separated for a couple of years with the hope of then returning. And it's because of the finances and a career. And we really want to get past that. And actually, COVID is helping. The pandemic is helping because more people are able to telecommute now. Businesses are learning the value of that and are opening their aperture. 
in where people might be sitting when they're working. That helps military spouses. Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely something that we've seen nationwide. And a lot of the work that we've seen is that as unfortunate as it is, and maybe this is the role of the military is to show that we can adapt to just about any environment and turn any environment to our advantage. Maybe that's what we're doing with COVID as well. Yes. And the other thing is I want to, there's so many uh, nonprofits in San Diego that are aimed to help the transitioning service members. So many of these people come into service, they don't, they've never written a resume, they've never had a job interview. Now they're leaving uniform and they just don't know how to get organized, how to talk about themselves, how to get that foot in the door. And there are a lot of networks out there that are trying really hard to help these folks. Yes. And it sounds, and I have heard from colleagues, again, Air Force and Army Town, but obviously folks who have been to San Diego have a lot of really good things to say about SD Mac. So if people wanted to find out more about what you're doing, all of your programs, if they're in uh, California, the greater San Diego area, how could they do that? How could they find you? Well, you know, we try to, uh, our website, www.sdmac.org is a great place to keep up with us. We, we keep that very much updated. We also send out an email, an e-blast about once a week. You can go on that website and register to receive those. You don't have to be a member of SDMAC to do that, to keep up with us. As COVID winds down, we'll begin doing our monthly breakfast events again, hopefully one day here pretty soon where we bring in a speaker and we have several hundred gathered together. That's a great place to come and see what we're all about. You can always, uh, my contact information is right there on the website. You can always reach out to me, and I'm happy to explain even more of what we do. Well, I really appreciate that, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, what a great show. Thank you so much. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. Mark in the San Diego Military Advisory Council is a great example of how veterans can integrate into their communities in post-military life and become civic leaders. When we describe the term military town, people might often have a vision of a place close to a military installation that has a row of pawn shops, tattoo parlors, and adult entertainment establishments. That was true when I was stationed at Fort Bragg in the late 90s, and it might still be true to some extent in some locations. But the term military town has taken on a number of different meanings. The term military town is a civilian municipality that is significantly economically tied to a nearby military installation. This includes small towns, as I mentioned in my conversation with Mark, like Fayetteville, North Carolina, outside of Fort Bragg, Fort Walton Beach, Florida, outside of Eglin Air Force Base, and Oceanside, California, outside of Camp Pendleton. But it also includes medium to large cities, San Antonio, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Norfolk, Virginia. These communities and the military installations in and around them are codependent on each other. The military installations are where the service members work, but the local community is where they live life. In smaller towns, off-post base or camp may seem like an extension of the military installations, but in larger cities, the two are often separate and distinct. As we talk about bridging the civilian-military divide, it may be that the gap is narrowest in these communities. Service members serve there, their family members work there, and many veterans retire in the same location and integrate into the community as business people or leaders. 
That being said, the gap in understanding can still exist, as demonstrated by Mark's description of who in the government is talking to who on which local military installation. This is in contrast to other cities with a huge veteran presence, but no specific military installation. Episode 10 with Nathan Grazer talked about the large number of veterans in Los Angeles. Denver, Colorado, for example, has more total veterans in the greater Denver area, which is made up of six or seven different counties, than Colorado Springs, about an hour to the south, which is in a single county. The way to coordinate veteran organizations is necessarily different in each of these communities, but the need is the same, to connect military and veteran-serving organizations together in order to provide the best possible support to those who serve and those who care for them. Another point that I would like to make is how Mark brought up the fact that the desire to serve is not removed when a service member's uniform is removed. This goes to military culture and mindset. When it comes to any definition of culture, we refer to the customs and expressions of a particular nation, people, or social group. Military and veteran culture is definitely a social group, and culture is defined by two expressions of characteristics, external and internal. External characteristics of culture are those that you can see, the uniforms that we wear, the observable behaviors that service members engage in, marching in formation, driving military vehicles, the customs and courtesies of military life. These can change over time, and they're not always the same for the military-affiliated population as a whole. External characteristics of someone serving in the military is different than the external characteristics of the veteran. When someone leaves the military, most of the external characteristics are removed. The uniforms hung in the closet, no more need to stand in the rain for an hour for what seems to be no good reason. Internal characteristics of military culture, however, are those that we cannot see. The values that many service members hold. The way of thinking, some good, some not so good, that veterans hold on to after their military service. The desire to serve, to be of service to others, is one of those internal characteristics of military culture that is not hung up in the closet. It's one of the things that makes a veteran a veteran the carryover of military values, mindset, and sense of duty into post-military life. Some who haven't served don't necessarily understand that this is the case, but as the old saying goes, you can take the troop out of the military, but sometimes you can't take the military out of the troop. I think it's helpful for those who are working with former service members to understand that there's probably a lot more that veterans are holding onto from their military service than even the veteran may know. Supporting service members, veterans, and their families is the goal of PsychArmor and PsychArmor Partners. The resource for this week that I'd like to share is part of PsychArmor's Collective Impact course series, the PsychArmor course, Where Are You on the Collaborative Journey? This can help organizations that are looking to establish something like the San Diego Military Advisory Council. This course is designed for communities interested in learning how to use collective impact principles to foster collaboration and increase impact for service members, veterans, their families, and caregivers. The goal of this course is to provide you with information regarding the phases of a collaborative effort, as well as additional tools to sustain impact. This course will help you to find where your organization is on the collaborative journey and what is needed to move forward. You can find the course by going to the link in the show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM19, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation 
and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.